Wow. You know, I use this tablet. I have my sermon on it. And it's supposed to recognize my face. And this is the first time it did that in months. So it's going to be a great day, I can tell. The technology is cooperating. Hey, by the way, uh, there is no children's church today, so kiddos, stay here. We thought you'd like to see these people uh, be baptized, so no children's church today. Laurel and I, my wife and I, want to express our gratitude to you at Kermansville Alliance uh, for uh, the time we were away last week. We uh, went on our 40th wedding anniversary vacation. We went to Durango, Colorado, and uh, then we went, uh, and we had a great time when we were there. Uh, we were in Durango, and this is us at Mesa Verde there, and uh, just a, a real joy to be together. It, it was one of those moments, that photo is one of those moments when uh, someone says, hey, do you want me to take your photo for you? And I don't, no, don't do that, but I'm so glad they did, right? Because uh, that tree looks pretty good next to us, so uh, it was uh, a beautiful time. We're really thankful for everything you did and everything that was uh, provided for us to have a great time away. Uh, we're so thankful our church is always in good, good hands uh, when we travel. Today, we're going to talk to you about baptism. I just want to kind of hit some aspects of baptism today. There are churches and pastors who advocate baptism being done at the moment that you are converted. Like the moment you say, I want to trust Jesus as my Savior, and you pray like I spoke about a few minutes ago, like, okay, let's fill the tub and we'll baptize you. And it's kind of like a mentality says, are they saved? Yep. Well, let's get them baptized right away then. And maybe it's a drive-by baptism. I kind of like that, you know. (laughs) You ever been on a receiving end of one of those? Yeah, that's just not exactly what we're looking for. It is true that in the Bible, baptism happened upon conversion. They didn't wait for several months or whatever. Uh, Often it happened at that very encounter. But that encounter and those encounters uh, in in the Bible, they seem to have been pretty long and drawn out. Uh, Preaching and teaching when it was happening in Bible times wasn't like a 20-minute devotional that happened on Sunday morning, you know, and or, you know, just a little pep talk or something like that. Sermons lasted for hours. In fact, the book of Acts talks about a sermon that lasted so long, there was a guy, they were up on the second floor of a building, and there was a guy who said, yeah, I think I'm going to lay on a windowsill here. Of course, there was no window in that windowsill. His name was Eutychus, and Eutychus is laying there, and Paul's droning on and on and on, and after a long period of time, Eutychus just stumbled right out that window to his death. Thank goodness Paul was the guy preaching. He went out and raised him from the dead, so that's a good thing. I am not Paul, and I haven't raised anyone from the dead, and so I don't think that I would preach that long lest you fall asleep and fall out the window. But uh, sermons were long in the Old Testament, and, and, and so that gave them the opportunity to explain deeply about baptism and all the ins and outs of baptism, and out, even about following Jesus uh, in a way that's fantastic. I'm not going to do that to you this morning. In fact, I've already met with every one of the baptism candidates today and uh, spoken to them about being baptized so they understand it, so they would understand it. But I do want to talk just about baptism in general, and if you have your Bible, you might want to open it. There's a version Bible app uh, that you can follow along with. Uh, you might want to open it to um, Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 26 is where we'll be. And you don't have to have a Bible. I'm going to have a lot of the scripture on the screen, but let me read to you about 15 verses here if I can. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. Now you have to know who this guy was. It says, An important official in charge of the treasury of Candake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. So Ethiopia was not a poor country in Bible times. It was a wealthy country. And this guy was in charge of all the money there. So this is not some guy who, you know, is um, working at McDonald's. This is a a guy who has a lot uh, going for him. Says this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stand near it. 
Then Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The passage of scripture the eunuch was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. You know who that is, right? That's Jesus. He was led, and it's written 700 years before Jesus actually came to Bethlehem. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humility, in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, tell me, please, who's the prophet talking about? Wow, what a great question, you know? If I'm Philip, I'm like, that was the right question to ask. Who's the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled down along the road, they came to some water, and Enoch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders, stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. So I just was thinking of this passage today, and I wanted to share with you three biblical aspects of baptism that stand out in this passage. And the first one is the physical aspect. Baptism is a physical event. It is seriously physical, if you think about it. I went and looked in there. There's a lot of water in there. It's filled right up to here. Oh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. You're in a splash zone right there. I'm just saying, right? Yeah. It's physical. I mean, look at verse 38. It's on the screen. Philip is the guy that's the he here. It says, he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Here's a guy who, according to verse 27, is an incredibly powerful man. And he gets out of his carriage. He, he most likely takes off his outer garment. And then he goes down into this body of water with this Jewish guy who dunks him in the water and pulls him out. That's a physical event. There's no getting around that. The reason it's physical is because those kinds of physical, visible things reveal things that are invisible. Did you hear that sentence? The physical thing, baptism, reveals something that was invisible, and that invisible thing is like the thing that's spoken about in 1 John 1, 7, where John is writing and he says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, meaning Jesus, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. Baptism doesn't wash away your sin, but it's a visible expression of the fact that Christ has purified you, washed away your sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's not the water that's before us. The visible, however, it reveals the invisible. Baptism actually reveals a transformation of heart that happens when you trust Christ. It shows that you're a different person. The Apostle Paul, who was a pioneer in Christian ministry, planting churches all over the place, is writing to one of those churches in Rome. And in chapter 6, verse 4, he says this, We were therefore buried with Jesus through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So baptism kind of shows that you're dead and buried and raised to live a new life. So when I baptize someone, I usually hold them like this and I have them facing in that direction. 
and I let them hold their nose, then I hold their arm, and I have my hand on their back. You're going to see this in about 10 minutes here. And, and then I'll, I'll say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then I recline them into the water. Not everybody does that. Some people sprinkle, that's good. Some people pour, fine. Some people have them squat, that's cool too. I love to have them recline in the water because we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. When I, when I recline them, it's like I'm laying them to rest. That's not a baptistry now, it's a coffin. I might leave them down there long enough, they'll need a coffin. And then... When, and when I say I, it's me and Josh or whoever's assisting. And then when I bring them up, it's like they're raised to live a new... Do you see the symbolism there? See how cool that is, how beautiful that is. The physical aspect of, of baptism is really important to note. The visible kind of creates the experience, makes you feel the experience. Baptisms are chaotic. I've been at Mahaffey Camp when they're doing baptisms. I've done a few there. <laughs> I, I, one time I was there at Mahaffey Camp, I was, I was watching. I'm on the, the shore, and this guy says, watch out. And there was a water snake right by my foot, right? And I looked in the water, and there's some water snakes. They were all praising God. No, they, they weren't. <laughs> they were like, what are you doing in our territory? And I got a feeling that if any of the people in the water had seen those snakes, it would have been kind of chaotic because water snakes are harmless, but they are aggressive. Huh, that would have been kind of cool. The physical aspect of baptism, there's, there's kind of a, a, a chaos to it there. Um, it can be chaotic when someone is a little bit afraid of the water. It can be chaotic when someone doesn't want to get their hair messed up, you know? That's okay, because baptisms are about real life. And I want to say this to you. I, I hope you can understand this. When you, as a human being, say to a God that you cannot see, when you say, I want you to control my life, that can be a frightening kind of thing. And you kind of maybe wonder to yourself, I don't know if this is a good idea. It feels a little chaotic. I'm not sure that this is safe. Is this safe? Of course it's not safe, C.S. Lewis would say. God isn't safe. He's a lion. But he's good. He's a king. And he cares for you. Biblical aspect of baptism, of it being physical, shows you these things. There's another aspect, and that's the family aspect. Uh, baptism always in my mind kind of, uh, it feels like an initiation, you know? Like if you're working in a restaurant, I remember I was working in a restaurant one time and a bus came in. You know, my first day there, and a bus comes in, I'm working and working and working. That's really hectic when a bus comes in. And they said, well, that was some baptism for you, Steve, right? Because it was an, an initiation for me working in that, that restaurant. Baptism kind of feels like an initiation. It's not a hazing. <laughs> that would be bad, right? But... It is kind of a rite of passage as you enter the family of God. It reveals that you're born into the family of God. The Bible teaches we're baptized into God's family in passages like Galatians 3.26. On the screen it says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So what's that saying? What that's saying is that this Ethiopian guy, when he said, wow, I named Jesus, I will, I will follow him, I trust him, he became part of the family of God. Family. <laughs> that's a pretty important thing. A lot of you have family here. Aren't they important to you? What a blessing they are. Your father, your mother, your brothers, your sisters, your aunts, your uncles, cousins. One thing about that, though, you're kind of stuck with whoever you get, right? Right? <laughs> 
And some of us are born into healthy, loving families. Some of us maybe not as much. But this initiation in baptism reminds you that you've been born again into a family where God is your father and you'll never find a father better than him. He's a good, good father. And it reminds you that Christ is your brother. It's a family where he is your brother. He calls you his friend. And it's a family where you are brothers and sisters with others who have done the same thing and are walking the same journey. It reminds you you've been initiated into that family. There's a third aspect that I want to share with you. And that's the commitment aspect. It's kind of weird. For some people, it almost seems like they feel like baptism is a wrap-up to their Christian journey. Okay, let's see. Got saved? Check. Did a little bit of church? Check. Getting baptized today? Check. I am done. I don't think there's anything left for me. Let's just stay home on Sundays. You know, Don't have anything else I need to do. Thinking that baptism is a wrap-up to your Christian faith would be like thinking that your wedding ceremony is a wrap-up to your relationship. Drew, when were you and Julie married? Yeah, so you're coming up on a one-year anniversary just in a couple weeks here. Yeah. When you were married, you and Julie, Julie, did the two of you when you stood here said, whew, that's the end of this relationship. I'm glad that's over. Julie's nodding. She's, she's yeah, she's <laughs> trolling me out there, right? Yeah, yeah. No, she says, of course not. It was just the beginning. Baptism is a ceremony like marriage that shows a commitment that you have made, and it is a lifetime commitment. You can see that in the story of the Ethiopian in verse 36 where it says, as they traveled along, they came to the water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water to be baptized. That man was serious, serious about his Christian faith, serious about the commitment that he had made. Baptism shows us that commitment... (laughs) The commitment is to live a new life. People being baptized today, they're kind of saying this sort of thing. I'm not going to live a life marked by dirt and filth that has been washed away by the blood of Christ. I am going to, by the power of Christ in me, the old is gone and the new has come. And I will, through Christ's spirit living in me, live a life of love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. Against such things there is no law. In Christ, I've been raised to live that life. And it's a commitment to live that life. It's, it's a commitment to take responsibility for your own, own life. You know, the weirdest part of the story of the Ethiopian to me is the last verse. I mean, look at it, it's on the screen. It says, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of God suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. You know, I would never say the Holy Spirit of God is doing something wrong because he never would. He's God, right? But that just seems weird to me. This guy just became a Christian a few hours ago. And, and you just baptized him now. Shouldn't someone hang around to help him grow in his faith? Wouldn't you think that Philip would want that, that he would want to be there to help him do what we do here every Sunday, to learn more about Jesus and how to live like him? And my guess is that the Spirit of God had other people in mind to do that, that he would not leave that Ethiopian as an orphan on his own. (laughs) But there's a reality here that's worth considering. And the reality is this. Philip was not responsible for the spiritual growth of the Ethiopian. The Ethiopian was. 
When you're a child, your parents or grandparents or whatever other godly people you may have in your life, they fulfill a role in your spiritual development. But as you grow, you discover, you discover that you're the person responsible for your spiritual growth. And that's a really important discovery because let me tell you why. One of the hardest things for me personally about following Jesus is when I look at men and women who have served as role models in my life, who have taught me things about Jesus, who've discipled me and moved me along the way, and suddenly they blow it. Or worse, they've been blowing it right along. And I'm like, what is up with that? I already referenced C.S. Lewis uh, once in the Chronicles of Narnia. Let me give it to you again. There are a couple times in the Chronicles of Narnia where one of the children says to Aslan, who is Christ, in the, in the Chronicles says, what about, what about Peter? Or what about Edmund? <laughs> and, and, and Christ looks at them and says, it's none of your business. <laughs> That's their journey. Pay attention to your own journey. I just want to remind those of you that maybe have been embittered by things that you've seen and others who have been walking this journey. Get your mind off of them. Put your mind on Jesus Christ. And I want to say to you who are early on in this journey, take responsibility for your own spiritual growth. You need to do that as you grow in your Christian life. 